I thought this morning to uh, actually get up on the stage, but then right beforehand, President Rich offered me 20 bucks if I stage dive, and the temptation is just too great. I'd be up there thinking, man, I'd get 20 bucks for one jump. So uh, instead, I'm going to stand down here and try not to break my neck. Um, one of the things that I am really excited about this morning is the fact that uh, my clothes match. Now, those of you who have had me in class uh, are aware that I have issues uh, distinguishing colors sometimes, and, uh, and very graciously, one of the things that my wife will do for me is she will uh, help me to match my clothes in the morning. Sometimes uh, that is to actually put out and say, wear this. Other times it will be a uh, frantic uh, text for me with a picture of what I'm trying to pick out, uh, which sometimes doesn't always work out so well. In fact, you can tell when I've not had any guidance because sometimes the colors are just a little bit off and then I will get home that evening and, and Mickey will say, is that what you wore today? Uh, and uh, the answer is yes. But, you know, one of the things that is important in all of that, besides the fact that I don't see colors real well all the time, is the reason that those kind of things are important to me isn't just because I, I don't want to be an embarrassment when I dress, but it's also important to me to do things like wear ties uh, on a consistent basis, not because I'm required to do so, but because I want you all to know that what I do matters to me. I'm not just putting in time, and I'm not saying that someone that, that doesn't wear a tie every time uh, doesn't care about their job or anything like that or think that, that teaching y'all is important. I'm not saying that at all, but it, it's something, it's just a small thing that I can do to show you that this matters, that you matter, that what we are talking about in class matters. Now, that all actually got its start many, many years ago uh, when I was adjuncting at a couple different schools, and uh, I determined to live by the motto, I guess, of don't dress for the job you have, but dress for the job you want. And so even as I added on to those uh, adjuncting opportunities at a couple different schools, the opportunity to tutor at the local high school, uh, I still would go to the high school dressed in a tie. In fact, that's kind of what I became known for, so that when I came up here to work at this job, the, the students at the high school gave me a parting gift of a tie that they had all signed. Now, that might seem, I don't know, not too odd, I guess, because folks do stuff like that all the time. But it's certainly not in my background. Before I pursued the academic route, I, I was a carpenter. And it wouldn't make any sense to show up at the job site dressed like this. I mean, I, I, I would match and it would be nice and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think that my boss would think that I was serious about my job. In fact, he would probably be thinking I'm looking for a reason not to work so hard. But the same clothing has an opposite effect here. At least that's my intention. That my job 
matters, that it's important to me, that you know that I think it matters, that I don't take it for granted, that I don't take you for granted, that I don't take the things that we talk about in my class for granted. I'm trying to communicate all of that with a tie. Because what we wear, sometimes it matters. And that's especially true for the Christian. What we wear matters. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, in this case, the actual clothing. You know, it's, uh, we're not living, I guess, in the, uh, well, when I first became a Christian, the kind of churches that, uh, that I became a Christian in had very strict regulations on what you could wear and how long your hair was supposed to be and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about something else. It's something that Paul draws out in the passage that we're going to talk about this morning. Because he's using a metaphor, a metaphor that that his audience would have understood instantly because it was common throughout the Greco-Roman world to tie a lifestyle to clothing. And that's what Paul does here. He makes a shift from what he was talking about and what we uh, looked at last week to what he's talking about uh, today that's really going to sum up all that he began in chapter 12 where he starts out talking about really on the basis of what has been done for us that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And today... In the passage we look at today, he's going to give more motivation. But he starts out really kind of transitioning right from from what uh, we had talked about last week as uh, finished up in in, uh, Romans 13, chapter 7. He tells us to pay all what is due to them. To pay taxes to whom taxes is owed. To pay revenue to whom revenue is owed. And then he gets out of the money thing for a little bit, and he says to pay respect to whom respect is owed, to pay honor to whom honor is owed. And then he immediately goes into verse 8, which uh, is actually a little bit transitional, and says, owe no one anything. Owe no one anything. Now, It's true that in the past, and and probably today as well, that this passage is very often taken uh, to mean that we shouldn't incur any debts at all. But that's not at all what it's saying. And if that's what we get out of this text, we miss the point. Because the point is in the very next part of the verse. Except to love one another. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now here, Paul is doing something that we've seen him do consistently throughout the book of Romans and especially uh, in these last two chapters. He's hearkening back to the things that Jesus has talked about. There's an echo of Jesus' words in what he's talking about here. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. In fact, I think that uh, I'm not prepared to argue this too in depth yet, but it sure seems to me like one of the things that I'm hearing here is an echo of some of what Jesus says in John, where the command is to love one another, that Christians are to show the fact that they love or that they are Christians by the fact that they love one another, that they love their other Christians. 
And Paul has taken that here, and I think he's familiar with that tradition here, and he's taken it a step further because he says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Who loves another. He's taken this commandment, and that's an important word here. He's taken this commandment, and he's taken it one step further. Not just to love one another, but to love the other. To love the other. If that person, Paul says, has fulfilled the law. Now, he spent, obviously, a lot of time in the book of Romans talking about the law. What the law was going to do. How the law really exposes us for who we are. And now he's saying that really, if you want to look and see what the embodiment of the law is supposed to be, it's not supposed to be a list of do's and don'ts that we can check off and say, look at how good I am. The embodiment of all the law is a further echo of Jesus. Love one another. Now back uh, in, uh, the in the book of Mark, uh, Jesus was asked in chapter 12, you know, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the pinnacle of the law. So much so that he says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Looking for a way to check those boxes? It's not to get up and say, well, I didn't adulterate this morning. I didn't steal. I didn't murder. Well, it's probably good that you didn't do all of those things this morning. But the law is fulfilled in something a little more active. It's not this passive not doing. It is this active loving one another. To put the needs of the other ahead of our own. Stop to think about that for a second. How important that is for our Christian walk. To not just be passive and say, well, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't do the other. But to actively seek out ways to love one another, to honor one another. Another word that Paul has already used uh, in this section and he's going to use again in just a moment. How do we do that? Because really, when it gets right down to it, if you love the other, you're not likely to kill them that day. If you love the other, you're not going to rob them. I mean, you know, one of the things that makes me so mad is that we, you know, we, get, the, we get these emails saying, uh, your, your password is about to expire. Type in your password right away so that we can fix it for you. And all the time, all they're looking to do is steal from me. I hate that. I hate that because this is a person who has no regard that if they wipe out my bank account, how am I going to provide for my family? They don't care about that. 
They don't care what happens to me. Well, obviously that's not love. Love is finding a way to honor, to help, to meet the needs of the other person. And that is so important that if you simply do a search on love one another, you will see it come up numerous times in the New Testament. This is something that matters. This is something that the, is the hallmark of what a Christian is. And that's why Paul says that the whole thing is summed up. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, Paul says, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. You can't do wrong to your neighbor if you are loving them. And that's supposed to be the hallmark of what a Christian is. Is that what we do? Is that what we are known for? That's what we need to strive to be. People that love one another. People that love the other. People that think something like love sterling is important because it meets the needs of the other. Paul goes on and he says, besides, you know what time it is. How now is the moment for you to wake from your sleep? Now here really what Paul's doing is, is he's drawing the whole thing together here and, and, uh, and tying up everything that he's really been talking about in, in chapter 12 and in chapter 13. Uh, but it's also a very smooth transition to what he just talked about. And you see some of the same themes there as well. And so he says, you know what time it is. The moment for you to wake from sleep. Why? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. What's he talking about there? I mean, weren't we saved when we, were, when we believed? Wasn't there some sense uh, in which our salvation became apparent at that moment? Well, certainly. But what we are looking for is that time when everything changes and we become what we were created to be. When we will be like him because we will see him as he is. When our salvation is made complete. In that day when he sets everything right. And that day has had an inbreaking all the way back when he came into this earth. So that now we can kind of look in the distance and we see the dawn. It's a little fuzzy out there. And it sure seems like it's been taking a long time to get that sun up into the air. But it's coming. It's coming. And it's nearer today than it was yesterday. Augustine, the church father, was commenting on, on uh, this passage, and he said, you know, it's been like 400 years. So that means it's even closer today. Well, we've had another 1,600 years since then. And yeah, it seems like sometimes things are going to continue the way they are. Things are going to continue to be bad. But there is a time when all of a sudden, what is the darkness that this present world is will change to light. To light. And the dawn breaks in. And Paul tells us, we know that. And so it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. 
Something that we have been consistently called through throughout, to, throughout the New Testament. To wake up. To be ready. He tells us to wake up because salvation is nearer. He says the night is far gone. The day is near. And so then, in response to that simple fact, he gives us a number of things that we're supposed to do. Lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, he's going to flesh out what that means as he goes forward. For those of you that have had some, uh, some upper-level Bible classes, you'll recognize this as a chiasm where he kind of tells it in an X formation so that the thing that is right in the middle of these five commands, the third one is the one that the whole thing really centers around. So it's going to take us a second to get to that third one and see what is so important. But the first thing he's told us is to lay aside the works of darkness. To not do the things that are done in the dark. As I said, he's going to come back to that in a moment. But that's what he tells us at the outset. And then he tells us, lay lay those aside and put on the armor of light. The armor of light. There's a battle taking place, a battle between light and darkness. And this whole chapter actually uh, is a a summary of something that he talked about years ago in one of his very first letters in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5, if you go back and take the time to read the first few verses of that, you'll see this whole thing, and it'll sound very familiar because Paul's going back to some of those concepts. And there, they weren't sure how this was all going to work. They weren't sure when it was all going to take place. And what Paul told them then is what he's telling the Romans now to be ready. Because we are of the day. We are of the light. And so we should put put on, in this case, the weapons of light. To arm ourselves with them. And if you kind of go with the imagery that's here, it's almost like, uh, you know, you have two choices as a soldier. You can be one who revels in the things of darkness that are around us. Or you can be one that sees the dawn approaching. And you want to be ready. Because when the sun comes up, when the sun comes back, you want to be the one that says, there he is. There he is. He's here. He's here. We've waited for 2,000 years, and he's here. With, with all of the mistakes that I make in my life on a daily basis, I want to be that ready. I want to be that ready that when he appears, that I see it. He's here. He's here. He's here. Because I put on my weapons and I was ready. He goes on then and he says, let us live honorably as in the day. He's talked about honor before. He said, outdo one another in, in showing honor in Romans 12.10, uh, we are to live in a way that is honorable, a way that is just, a way that is right. Because we are ready. We have put on 
we have put aside that which is not befitting someone who belongs to the light. We have put on that weaponry that, is, that enables us to be ready to face whatever it is that we face in this world of darkness. And then we live honorably. And this is this middle one. This is the one that matters. Live honorably as in the day, not reveling, not in reveling in drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness. All terms that you mix together, and in case there's, there's any, any even thought of taking the idea of loving one another and turning it into something impure, which is something that would have been just as prominent in their day as ours, he gives us a string of terms there that really kind of go together in two pairs that are, very, that, that are highlighting sexual activity. The kind of activity done improperly in the darkness. Don't live that way, he's telling us. Don't live that way. Live honorably. As in the day, because we belong to the day. Instead, he tells us, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so the whole section comes to this resounding conclusion to tell us that what we wear matters. But this wasn't just telling us to put on a tie it wasn't simply telling us to make sure that our clothes match it wasn't necessarily or it certainly wasn't telling us to make sure we're dressed correctly if we're going to be a construction worker or to dress correctly if we're going to work at any at some other job that requires a tie that's not the point the point is to put on to live in a way that fits who we are we are Christ. We are of the day. We must put on Christ. We must live as Christ. We must set aside our desires, as natural as those desires are, and work for the discipline that befits the children of the light. We all know there's, there's not a person in this room that does not understand the concept of discipline. If you're an athlete, every time you have to run, you know what discipline means because who likes to do that stuff? If you are a musician, the amount of time you've spent pounding on a keyboard to try to get better, you know what discipline is like. Anything that we do takes discipline. And that's no different here. We can gratify the desires of the flesh, and that would mean maybe not running, uh, I don't know what we call it today, but, but back when I played football, we called it 360s, where you sprint the sidelines and jog the end zone and sprint the, you, you all have to do stuff like that still. I don't know, maybe that's just an old person's thing. Uh, and the worse that we did in that particular practice, the more that we had to do it. And nobody liked to do it, but nobody wanted to be seen slacking at it either. 
You sucked it up. You found the discipline. You did what it took. And here, what Paul's telling us is the same kind of concept, to not gratify the desires of the flesh. There are things that we want to do, and those are the things of the darkness. Paul's telling us, don't do them. Put on Christ. Live honorably. Love one another. This is the call of the believer. This is what we are destined for. And so Paul tells us, since you're destined for that already, do it now. To use another sports metaphor, act like you've been there. Act like you've been there. Don't fulfill, don't pursue the desires of the flesh, but put on Christ. That is our call as believers. That is our destiny of believers. That is our privilege and right as believers. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the provision of salvation. We are thankful for the hope of all things becoming new. We are thankful for the privilege of being your children. Lord, we confess that it is much easier for us to fulfill our own desires regardless of the cost to us or others. Lord, give us a vision of your love. Give us the courage Give us the discipline to live as what we are. In Jesus' name, amen.